All right, good morning, Foothills Church. How are we doing today? Happy spring forward. Man, what a day. What a day. Uh, my name is Greg Gibson. I'm one of the pastors here at Foothills Church. I have the opportunity to oversee our multi-site strategy. It's so great to be with you this morning. Also, welcome to everyone who is watching online. I'm so thankful that you have joined uh, together with us this morning as well. I want to give a quick Foothills Church Bearden update before we get into the sermon. We've had two sets of Bearden Bible studies at this point, and they have been amazing. Uh, from those Bible studies, we have about 100 people who have joined small groups in Knoxville and have joined our Foothills Church Bearden launch team. And so we're, we're continuing to solidify and work towards uh, our building, and we're excited to share more details about that soon. Uh, but we are still working hard and planning hard and praying hard to launch FC Bearden in Knoxville this fall. And uh, man, is anybody excited about that? That's, I, I cannot wait to see what God has in store for us as we are faithful to make disciples in Knoxville. So if you are watching online uh, and you are watching from Knoxville, get in the game. Go to foothillschurch.com slash Bearden to join the launch team to find out more information. And so what I want to do this morning before we jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is I just want to pause and pray for what God is doing with launching our second location in Knoxville and, and pray that he would continue uh, to work for his glory and the fame of Jesus alone. So let's pray together. Father, we pause before you this morning and we are so thankful for all that you're doing, not only here at Foothills Church, but what you're continuing to do 45 minutes away in the Bearding community. God, it's amazing to see it. We're, we are so thankful for the work that's already happening and we just continue to pray that, uh, that you would just send us your favor, send us your blessing and you would continue to open every door that we need uh, to continue to preach the gospel, make disciples, and uh, do this all for your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanna open with this, this illustration. There, there's a 1960s short video called Powers of Ten. And may, maybe, you've, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but one film critic gives this explanation of the video, and I'm gonna read it for us. The film opens by focusing on one square meter, a one square meter blanket near the Chicago lakefront. Hovering over a couple enjoying a picnic, the camera then begins to pan back, increasing the view, uh, the viewing area a tenfold every 10 seconds. As if you are Google Earth, many powers of 10 are quickly surpassed and, and you uh, you soon look at planet Earth from outer space, then you're looking uh, at the view followed by the Milky Way and then to neighboring galaxies. The expansion stops at the edges of the known universe, leaving views dizzy and blurred by the enormity of what we're trying to grasp. The view then quickly returns to the blanket and begins a descent onto the hand of the sleeping man, and as the scale now shrinks one uh, per 10 every 10 seconds, 
A small hair on the man's hand grows as large as the screen. Skin and blood cells quickly balloon outside of you. Inside the cell, large molecules can be seen performing their various functions and eventually the scene plunges into the subatomic underworld, continuing to shrink through seven more powers of 10 before coming to a close. And I, I open with that to say this, is that in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the camera lens rarely moves above the sun. It's kind of this bird's eye view that King Solomon gives us of creation. However, when King Solomon shrinks down from hovering over creation, he shrinks down onto the human. He doesn't go to the hair on the hand of the man. He goes straight to the heart. And we're gonna begin to see him as we, as we now uh, go into Ecclesiastes chapter 10 this morning. We're gonna begin to see him do that. Go straight after our heart. And he goes right after the question that everyone is asking without even knowing that we are asking it. And it's the question that asks this, how do I gain wisdom? How do I gain wisdom? Because here's what I know to be true. Everyone is after, hope you see this, the results of wisdom. Every single one of us. We are after the results of wisdom without actually knowing the process of how to get it. And the world is chasing, chasing the results of wisdom in so many ways. Books are being written and published daily. Podcasts are being released. (laughs) Scrolling through social media, we have 10 million armchair philosophers, right, giving their take on everything under the sun. But we are not, as followers of Jesus, looking to define wisdom as the world defines wisdom, are we? We need to define wisdom how God defines wisdom. And Proverbs 1, verse 7, says this, and maybe you've heard it, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe the smartest person to ever live Outside of Jesus, we have King Solomon giving us the secret to wisdom. In fact, God tells Solomon, maybe you remember this, God tells Solomon that, that, that if he asks God for anything, anything in the world, that God would grant it to him. And what does King Solomon ask God for? He asks for wisdom. In fact, King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and most of the book of Proverbs which is subtitled the book of wisdom. And he is telling us that a life of wisdom begins right here with the fear of the Lord. And so let's define wisdom this way this morning. And we're gonna keep going back to this definition. So so if I ask the question, what is wisdom? We're gonna answer it a thousand times this way this morning. Wisdom is the, what's that word? Yeah, yeah, you can help me out all morning. I love feedback. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge of God. Wisdom, according to the Bible, wisdom, according to King Solomon, is the application of the knowledge of God. And wisdom, I want you to see, is both deeply 
theological and deeply practical. Wisdom is, is deeply theological because it involves knowing God. And so I, I don't know if you, you knew that you were coming to church this morning knowing that you were, in fact, a theologian, right? Theology, knowing God, the study of God. We all have opinions on who God is. Every single one of us are theologians. So you can just go ahead and change your Twitter, Twitter bio if you want, right? Wife, mom, whatever it is, theologian. You're welcome for that. But everybody is a theologian. Wisdom is deeply theological because it is about knowing God and his truths and his promises and then not just stopping and putting a period there, right? But then applying those truths next to our life. Man, in many ways, wisdom is the result of the fruit of following God. And on the other hand, foolishness, the opposite of wisdom, according to King Solomon, is the, is, uh, the irony, right, we see being the opposite of everything that we see being the definition of wisdom becoming in our life. Foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. And here's the irony of folly. The irony of folly is that we often think that it applies to those that chase after things of the world, don't we? We're always pointing fingers to those who are folly chasers and the worldly chasers among us or the worldly among us and chasing things like money, power, or sex. Man, I, I planted a church in Washington, D.C. and lived there for five years. I saw the apex of those things. Money, power, and sex pursue and the emptiness that those things brought. But in fact, King Solomon tells us that if you have the knowledge of God and then don't apply, apply the knowledge of God, then you are in fact also a fool. Thanks, King Solomon. And so we're gonna look at two ways that King Solomon talks about foolishness this morning. And the first way is the danger of foolishness. This is both from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and then the damage of foolishness. And we're gonna start with the danger of foolishness. And here's our first point. Even a small amount of foolishness, I want you to see this, even the small amount of foolishness has the potential to wreck your reputation. Church, even the smallest amount of foolishness has the potential to wreck your reputation. And let's read verse one together. Solomon says this in chapter 10, verse one, he says, he says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. I'll just say this about Ecclesiastes 10. It's a hard chapter, all right? He's all over the place, and, uh, and, and you're gonna see right from the beginning as he's talking about dead flies and, and perfume. But he says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So remember our, our first point here is even a small amount of foolishness has the potential to wreck your reputation. And so here, here let, me just, let me just pause and explain what I think King Solomon is, is telling us this morning. King Solomon is saying here that something as beautiful as perfume can be ruined once something as small as a fly lands and dies in it. 
And so, so I have never had any experience with this personally, uh, but I'm gonna take King Solomon's word for it. Dead flies ruin something pure and beautiful like perfume. In the same way, King Solomon is telling us here that a little bit, just a little folly, a small amount of folly outweighs a lifetime of wisdom and honor. One commentator says it's, it's easier to make a stink than to create sweetness. Remember the story of King David's, uh, I'm sorry, King Solomon's dad, right? King David. Uh, king David, the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, the greatest king of Israel, the one who walked with God, the one who was known as a man after God's own heart, had a time when this spoke true in his life. David was in his late 40s, having somewhat of an ancient Near Eastern midlife crisis. And it was the springtime when men go off to war. He sends his men off to war, but he stays back. And if you remember the story, he sees Bathsheba bathing on a roof. He calls her to his room. She gets pregnant with his child. Then David puts her husband on the front lines of battle, and he dies in battle. This act of foolishness in King David's life ruins a lifetime of walking with God. This act of foolishness in King David's life ruins a lifetime of walking with God. Or maybe you're like, how in the world does, does this apply to me? I have never had an affair with someone on the roof and sent their spouse off to battle. Um, but listen, what King Solomon, the actual son of King David, is telling us here is that one single fly can ruin everything. One single act can take it all away. One mistake, one mistake is all he's saying. One mistake can take away a lifetime of honor. One mistake can ruin, can ruin your reputation. One mistake can ruin a lifetime of walking with God. And church, here's my question for you this morning. What is one area in your life where you are most vulnerable to do something foolish? What is one area in your life where you are the most vulnerable to do something foolish? In other words, what, what area of your life is vulnerable to the flies, right? What area of your life is vulnerable to, to the flies? Is it greed? Is it temptation with money? Is it temptation with worldly Material possessions, is it sexual temptation? Is it pride and arrogance? In the areas of our life where we are not, remember our definition of wisdom, where we are not applying, applying the knowledge of God, there is great potential, friends, to be wrecked. And you know your life, but God knows it better. You know your heart but God knows it better. And you can't hear this. You cannot keep those areas hidden. That's what King Solomon is. King Solomon's kind of grabbing our shoulders here and shaking us and waking us up. And he's saying those areas of foolishness in your life, you can't keep them hidden for long because they will stink and they will attract flies. 
You can't keep them hidden. No matter how hard you try, and that should be sobering for us. That should be sobering, which is the second point from King Solomon here in chapter 10 about the danger of foolishness is that foolishness will be revealed. Flies will find it. It will be revealed. So, so the question is, why is wisdom so hard? Right? Why is wisdom so hard? It's not the knowledge of the Bible or even um, you know, the, the, the study of the Bible, but remember, wisdom is what? Help me out. It's the yes of that knowledge. We have to constantly be applying how God is working in our life. We have to constantly be applying the things that we are learning about God in his word. We have to constantly be applying knowledge so that we can walk in wisdom. And it's learning how God desires us to live according to the truths of his word, then actually applying those truths to our lives. Let's look at verses two and three. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Again, foolishness will be revealed. So here basically King Solomon is saying here that those who walk with wisdom will walk one way, but those who walk in foolishness, I hope you see that, will walk a completely different path. In other words, (laughs) you can't fake it until you make it with wisdom. This is what he's saying. You can't fake it until you make it in the world of wisdom. The world will know. The people closest to you will know. Your spouse and your kids, man, they will know. Folly will be pulling you one way and wisdom will be pulling you the other way and at some point there will be a tipping point in your life where you fall over the cliff of folly, where you fall over the cliff of foolishness. And so King Solomon is saying apply, 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 apply. Your, your, our sin nature is gonna constantly be pulling us into the path of foolishness but, but God's grace and the Holy Spirit in your life needs to be constantly pushing you towards the path of wisdom. And here's the third point that King Solomon tells us is that foolishness and power is a threat to the people. And this is verses four through seven. And and listen, I love that the Bible speaks to everything. And let me read this and I'll explain what I mean. He says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your palace, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. And again, foolishness is a, in power is a threat to the people. And here's what, here's what King Solomon is saying. Is he's saying, is King, he's saying uh, or King Solomon, excuse me, is using biblical proof in verses four through seven, that people in power, get this, are not always wise. People in power are not always wise. And so King Solomon uses biblical proof in verses four through seven to remind us that just because someone has authority or sits in a place of power in our life, they aren't always 
wise. And remember, if we are defining wisdom the way the Bible defines wisdom, as the what? Application of the knowledge of God, then just because someone is in power or they are in authority in your life or they are in a leadership position in your life does not make them wise according to the standards of the Bible. So, so I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but it's easy to point, ping, uh, point fingers at people in power. Political power, doesn't matter, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, religious point people, uh, point fingers at, at religious power or even people in authority in your life, bosses, direct report, pointing fingers at them, whoever those people are. But King, here's what King Solomon is telling us. This is amazing, this is an amazing truth. King Solomon is telling us to stop pointing fingers at those people and begin to point fingers at our own hearts. He's saying stop pointing fingers and shaking your fists at people in power. doesn't matter what kind of authority they have in your life and submit to God's word, chase after wisdom, begin to apply the knowledge of God and put a magnifying glass first on our own hearts. Because when we point fingers at others, that's our way of deflecting folly in our own lives not dealing with the foolishness that we walk around with daily. And remember, the flies are gonna find it. But this by no means lets people in power off the hook, does it? Let's, doesn't let them off the hook. Because fools who are in power threaten the people that they lead. Fools who are in power threaten the people that they lead. And King Solomon is saying that fools who are in power can bring destruction on a people. Can bring destruction. And isn't this always the case? You ever ask the question, why does God seem to elevate people in power that, that are, are just just terrible people, like, man, this guy got the promotion. Do you know what he does? I've been working hard, I've been coming to work on time, I, I, I do my job, I'm faithful when I'm, when, whatever it is. Why does it seem like the most corrupt get the most power? And that's what King Solomon is dealing with here. He's giving us the answer. He's, he, he says, he says um, you know, he wants us to see that this is proof that just because someone is in power, political power or an authority over life, we can rest assured that doesn't mean that they're wise. Doesn't mean that they're wise. And that we can also rest assured that we don't have to take their word for everything. We can weigh everything through the lens of the Bible. We can weigh every Facebook post <laughs> through the lens of the Bible. We can, we can weigh every news outlet through the lens of the Bible. We can weigh every um, confidential uh, counseling session or or conversation over lunch, or whatever it is, or sermon even, again, through the lens of the Bible. But if we are wise, we will not spend our time pointing fingers at their folly when we have so much folly first in our own hearts. So, so let me illustrate it this way. It's kind of like fishing. I don't fish, but I read this on the internet. You throw the bait in, Right, the fish kind of swims all around the bait and, and bites around the hook and eats the bait and it swims off and it seems like you never catch the fish. But it seems like there's another reason that people fish other than to catch the fish. But this is what Solomon is pointing to here. Remember Proverbs chapter one, verse seven? Fools listen, but don't apply. In other words, fools point fingers, but don't apply. And at some point, our foolishness will also be revealed and we can't keep swimming around the bait, 
pointing our fingers at people in power, def- uh, deflecting the foolishness that we have so we don't have to deal with it in our own hearts. And foolishness is not just dangerous, according to King Solomon here, but it also, because it's dangerous, causes a ton of damage. And the first way in verse eight that, that, that uh, King Solomon shows us that it causes damage is by our works, is by our works. And he says this, uh, and what, really what he's, what he's showing us here is that fools uh, are gonna eventually cause destruction. Eventually, the, the flies, there's gonna be so much flies that are gonna die in the wake of your foolishness that there's gonna be a wake of destruction that you're also gonna leave behind you. And so let's read verses eight, nine, and 10 together. He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who uh, quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. And so again, fools harm by their works. And so church, King Solomon here is telling us again that folly is inescapable. It's inescapable. The foolish person who digs a pit, what's gonna happen? He's gonna fall into it. If you mess with snakes, you're gonna get bit. If you throw stones, you're gonna get struck by one. If you split logs, at some point, you're gonna endanger yourself and others. In other words, if you go about creating recklessness, at some point, you will also get wrecked. And if you are living in the lane of foolishness, King Solomon is telling us here that you will, at some point, cause destruction in your life. And this, this should be quite sobering for us. However, when you're walking in wisdom, also quite the opposite. So, so I, I see this all the time with people who are about to get married. Um, two young people, they're in love. Two young people, they get engaged. They're excited. All roads are leading to what? The wedding event, right? So much time, so much money, so much thought, so much resources, all go into planning the wedding day. And here, here's the disconnect. Here's the, here's the chasm, is that people will spend, young people will spend hundreds of hours stressing and planning, thousands and thousands of dollars on the actual event. But for some reason, we won't spend a dime on marriage counseling with a pastor who has deep roots of wisdom preparing you actually for the next 40, 45, 50, 60 years of your life. Now, I think that's what he's, he's saying here is he's, you can spend $100,000 on one day or $100,000 on your life. What would you choose? What would you choose? Frisdom, uh, friends, wisdom, I just said frisdom, that was amazing. Wisdom, wisdom prepares the way for redemptive action in your life. Wisdom prepares the way for redemptive action in your life. Wisdom prepares the way for redemptive movement to happen all around you. Just being sensitive to the things that God is doing as you're attempting to walk in wisdom. Wisdom prepares the way for success. Why? Because wisdom is the application, right? 
It's the application of godly knowledge. And when you begin to take action in your life, and as King Solomon says, stop digging pits that we will one day fall into, we begin to move away from foolishness and into the lane of godly living with godly wisdom. And then King Solomon says that fools will also be known by their words. They'll be known by not just their works, but also by their words. And a a theme, a theme here of chapter 10 is that folly and foolishness will find their way out of fools, won't it? Folly and foolishness will find their way out of fools. We can't hide We mentioned this in verse one, the the dead flies are gonna find us. We cannot hide our foolishness forever. You can't not apply the scriptures to your life and think that your sin will not find its way out of you. And so King Solomon is saying here that, that the words of a fool, much like the works of a fool, reveal that this person is actually a fool. And he says this in verse 11, I love this. He says, if the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool will consume him. Other words, just just let, how do we know there's fools among us? Just, Just let them talk. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him, what will be after him. I love this thought from King Solomon because he's showing us here that if you want to highlight the fools amongst us, again, just let them talk. Let them talk. Fools will be revealed as fools and here's kind of the modern day equivalent, just give them a Facebook page, right? The lips of a fool will consume him, says King Solomon. And then we see finally that fools don't just harm with their works and fools don't just harm with their words, but they also fully harm their world. They're gonna cause destruction. They're gonna create damage and danger wherever they go. And here's verse 15 through 20. He says, the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princess feasts in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some weaned creature will tell the matter. And so for us, I think this is important as we begin to think about how destruction or how foolishness causes destruction in our life. And so in fact, what King Solomon is saying here is that fools, the fools among us really have no sense of direction. They're kind of, going to the left and going to the right and wherever the wind blows, there also goes the fool. In verse 15, he says, he says, they are so foolish, talking about the fools, that they can't even find their way into the city. 
We mentioned a moment ago how destructive it is for leaders and people in power to be, to be foolish people or people of folly, right? It leads to destruction for the people they lead. And then in verse 16 through 17, we, we see the opposite. We see it's a blessing when leaders are mature, don't we? We see that it's a blessing when a ministry is led by a more mature person. We see that it's a blessing when a small group is led by a more mature disciple. We see that it's a, a blessing when a church is served by mature deacons. We see it's a, a blessing when a church is led by mature pastors. It's a blessing to a home when a family is led by mature dads and mature moms. And it's a blessing to a nation when the leader is mature. And it's a blessing even to your workplace. We can apply this everywhere, right? When your team is led by a mature boss. And in verse 16, King Solomon says, woe to you when your king is a child. Or woe to you when you're fill in the blank is a child. Happy are you when the king feasts at the right time for the right reason, which is strength. And so the foolish among us feast on our own vanity, church. We're gonna feast on whatever the moment brings. We're gonna feast on our own temptations and we don't care if it causes a wake of damage and destruction behind us. The wise among us, King Solomon says, the wise among us feast in the right way at the right time and for the right reason, which the reason is the strength you need to lead with wisdom. Do you see that? Because wisdom is the what? Application. It's the application of godly knowledge. Friends, this is so important because when you reject the application of knowledge, people get damaged and people get destroyed in your life. We do not want to be anywhere near that reality. We want nothing about that story to be accurate about our story. Wisdom is the application of godly knowledge. One more time so it sinks in. Wisdom is the application of godly knowledge. And so, so we, have, we have talked about the reason with King Solomon here for the application of the wisdom, right? So that we, we don't cause damage, so that we don't cause destruction with foolishness. But, but what about the goal? What about the goal here? And I, I, would, I would submit that, that this could potentially be the goal of wisdom. The goal of wisdom is to live how God created you to live in the best way possible, with the most purpose, with the most meaning, with the most joy. And in that lane where there's guardrails, I would say that's a pretty incredible flourishing life, is it not? The goal of wisdom is a flourishing life. And the Bible tells us that the most flourishing life that we could ever live is a life that is not just connected to Jesus, but is directly under the reign of his lordship and kingship in our life. In other words, you and I, we're gonna constantly be tempted to, to, to fight to prove our foolishness in this life. That's human nature, it is the definition of sin. That is what we do. But to live a, flour, a flourishing life, 
not a foolish life, a flourishing life, Jesus first must be the king over your life. To live a flourishing life, he, Jesus first must be the king over your life and he does this when he becomes the king over your heart because your sin and the world are constantly gonna be at war for your heart. Constantly be at war for your affections and your time and your resources and what you give your life to. And here is Jesus, right, saying, no, I am the king over not just your life, but I am the king over your heart. And our job as Christ followers is to step into the lane where he is Lord over it. Where we don't just go to the right or go to the left in folly, we stay where Jesus is. We make decisions how Jesus wants us to make decisions. We parent how Jesus wants us to parent. Right? We fight for our marriage like Jesus wants us to fight for our marriage. We use our resources and money like Jesus wants us to do. This is wisdom. And to have a flourishing life, Jesus has to be the king of your heart. And outside of King Solomon, Jesus is the most wise among us. Right? We've all been hurt by fools. And we've all been fools that hurt others. Haven't we? Jesus is the only person who has ever lived that never practiced any kind of foolishness, that never found himself in folly, that never sinned, that, that lived a perfect life under the weight of the law, and he was the only person in all of history that took all of our foolishness, all of our foolishness, every single person in this room, the amount of foolishness that we have, we pile it up together, the grace of God still outweighs our foolishness. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yes, that is, that is something to be excited about. He is a wiser king than Solomon, and he becomes what King Solomon could not become. He becomes the sacrifice for our sin, the punishment for our sin, taking all of the foolishness of the world upon himself. He is a better, I, I don't know any other king that left his throne and, and went into his kingdom and died for his people. Jesus does that when he comes and dies for our foolishness. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 just for a moment. Because I, I think we can really begin to see that the beauty of the gospel in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 here. The best that we can. When Paul says, he says, for the word of the cross is what? It's Jesus is amazing, isn't he? The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then if we skip to verse 27, Paul kind of lands the plane here and he says, he says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He kind of flips the script of what King Solomon is telling us here in Ecclesiastes 10, where he's, where he's saying, don't, don't chase foolishness, don't chase foolishness but chase wisdom, apply the knowledge of God, apply the knowledge of God, that's where you will find flourishing, right? And then Paul says, but God chose what is foolish. God chose what is foolish. God chose what none of us wanted to be. God chose what none of us wanted to become. God chose the foolish, right? God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. We have King Solomon saying, don't become a fool and live like a fool unless you cause damage and destruction. The wisdom of God is the fear of God, the application of the knowledge of God. And then we see Jesus complete this thought when Paul ties a perfect bow around it. And we answer, how do we become wise, right? We become a fool. We become a fool. Jesus turns everything upside down when he comes to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and become our conquering king. And in many ways, Jesus is the personification of the wisdom of God. And the Bible tells us that if we want to be wise in our living, and living a life that God created and intended for us to live, and not live lives of damage and destruction, then here's the secret, become a fool. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's so opposite of what the world is telling you. But here, here's, here's the crazy part. You will find no more purpose, meaning, and joy in a life than that. A foolish life totally submitting to the king of the universe, giving our entire life to Christ. Our entire life, right? Not just, our, not just the little, little bits and pieces of our heart, not just this part of our life or that part of our life where, yeah, God, you can have Sunday morning, you can have small group time. I really want you to, to guide my kids, but my money's mine, my time is mine. No, G Jesus is saying, become a fool. Give it all away to God. Become a fool, give your life to God. And then this, in an amazing way, proves your wisdom. Do you see that? It's amazing. Knowledge and what? Application. Prove godly wisdom in our life because it shows that Jesus is the Lord of our life, church. Shows that Jesus is the Lord of our life. And two final thoughts here. First is this, and when we connect to Jesus and, and get his wisdom for living, it flows into every area of our life. Every area. Marriage, parenting, relationships, money, work, career, leadership, discipline, emotional health, every area of your life then, then gets just almost collided with into this Grand Canyon-sized wisdom that comes with knowing Jesus. Amazing. And the second is, is this, is if you've been living a life if you've been living a life of damage and a life of destruction and you've caused damage and you've been causing destruction and there's a, you can point fingers to the potholes in the wake of your damage and destruction. Friends, I, I want you to see this today that the grace of God is big enough to cover all of that too. <laughs> it's big enough to cover all of that too. Whatever damage, whatever destruction, the grace of God in and through Jesus alone is big enough to cover no, no amount of damage. Doesn't matter the amount of destruction. Jesus is better. His grace is enough. No matter the amount of damage and destruction you've caused in your life, Jesus died for that. He gave his life for that. He's inviting you into that relationship with him where he is wiping that slate clean. And he looks at you as a son or a daughter and he doesn't say, Greg Gibson with an asterisk, 
caused a whole bunch of damage in you know, 2004. No, he looks at you, Greg Gibson, asterisk, co-heir with Jesus. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable message that we get to be a part of. An amazing mission that God calls us into. So he doesn't say anymore that you're responsible for those things, that you're forgiven and you're free. My challenge to you today is simple. Let the wisdom of God be applied. Followers of Jesus, let the wisdom of God be applied. And to those who need to drink deeply of the fountain of grace today, because there's a little bit of damage and destruction in your path, drink deeply of it. Because his grace is sufficient to cover all things all things. So I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. And I want to encourage you as you are processing this, I know that God the Holy Spirit is here. I know that he is working in your life. I know that he is working in your heart. And I pray this morning that you would not just not do anything about it. That you would talk with someone. We have volunteers in prayer and care who are ready to serve you and just just right outside of our auditorium who are ready to to talk with you and walk with you and, and encourage you to drink deeply from this fountain of grace. If you're in a small group, talk with your small group leader. Set up a time to... to to engage with one of our pastors. You are not alone. You are a part of something bigger than yourself and it is the family of Christ. Father, we come before you and we are blown away by the great message of the gospel. The gospel is so much better than a life of destruction and a life of sin. The gospel is so much better. The the grace that comes from knowing you is so much better than turning left or turning right to the ways of the world. And so Father, I pray for our church in this moment. I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and it would convict us of sin and that we would begin to apply the knowledge of God and walk in wisdom and then be blown away by what you do in our life. Blown away. That we we would watch you begin to, to, to create redemptive movement all over the place in our life. With our family and our children and our marriages in this this city, the schools in our city, in our church all over the place. Father, we need more of you and we submit to your leadership because you are the greatest king in the history of the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.